Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling. A Harry Potter. Book movie. Compare and contrast. Podcast. You should know us by now. But in case you forgot. That's Kellen. That's 80. And and this this is is The the Rolling rolling Rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 9, Grim Defeat, and its corresponding film scenes. Dumbledore cornered the market on inspirational quote-of-the-day calendars, but still lacked the wherewithal to take sensitive conversations to his office. Snape had a hard time deciding between his goth, emo, metalhead, and beatnik robes. Harry chose the wrong teacher to complain to about homework right before the big game. No one thought through the dangers of playing a game involving mostly metal equipment in a lightning storm. The Dementors were in need of a Valtrex prescription, and just because we never miss a chance to say it, page 394. During episode 48, Almazon Prime, we had two Potter ponderings. The first one is, do you think Filch can paint? Jackson thinks restoring refers to putting the painting back and having the fat lady walk back in. The actual fixing of the painting would require magic and filches a squib, so more likely another teacher will actually fix it. And when the fat lady is calmed down, Filch will put the painting back. This Potter pondering just made Dave ask a bunch of other questions. (laughs) Do both pictures and paintings of people move? Is a painting different from a drawing? Would a pencil drawing of a person move? According to the movie and Draco's love note, yes, it would. But do wizards use pencils? Maybe a special quill has to be used? Mm. Dave also wonders if you need special enchanted paint to make a painting move. I know that the photos have to be developed in a special potion, so probably? Yeah, that would make the most sense. He also asked that if the person in the painting was still alive, is the moving picture just a gif on repeat? But then if the person is dead, does it become alive and interactive? At what point in the painting process does the painting become alive? Do you have to paint the head first and then it talks to you while you paint the rest? If you paint the legs first, can it walk to another picture frame? Is it not conscious at that point and just reflexes? So many questions. So, so many questions, Dave. And I would think that if it was anything like how the photos work, it sounded like it was just normal film that needed to be developed in a special potion. Then they would come out moving. So I would imagine that it would be a similar process for the painting, too. Maybe it is a special paint, or they just use regular paint and then coat it with the special paint when it's finished, like a glaze or something. Now we have even more to ponder about. We do. If you keepers have any ideas, then feel free to share them with us. I still like to believe that Filch can paint. So I think it's just a special paint that they use, but that the pictures don't come alive until the painting is officially finished. Or maybe it is related to their deaths and an actual part of them lives in the paintings and they are just more magical than they first seem. Maybe? Good questions, Dave. Our other Potter pondering is for you to make up a scenario that you think would actually get a Quidditch match canceled. Quincy points out that apparently they will cancel a match when a big-ass nope rope is going around petrifying students. Well, there is that. Jackson thinks it only happens during times of peril, when students' lives are at risk. Like in Chamber of Secrets, so he's on the same page as Quincy. Dave thinks that COVID would do it. 
He says they'd either cancel or just put up moving pictures of everyone in the stands instead of actual spectators. Josie likes Dave's idea and thinks COVID would definitely cancel a Quidditch match. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. I was really hoping for some funny scenarios that people made up. Yeah. And said they were just like, duh, it was canceled for the Basilisk. And I'm just (laughs) like, well, yeah, but what else? But yeah, what else? It's not like the Basilisk was on the Quidditch field. Right? Yet there were fucking Dementors all over. It was probably safer out on the Quidditch field than in the castle with the Basilisk. Right? That's what I'm saying. Nobody ever got petrified on the Quidditch field. No. However, a shit ton of people did get hit by lightning and electrocuted. There's lots of things to hit you out there. Could be lightning. Could be a bludger. Quidditch day is a very dangerous day. Yeah. Anyway, our trivia question last week was, what did Harry have to say to open the secret passage behind the one-eyed witch statue? In the book, Harry looks at the Marauder's map and sees a minuscule figure of himself, tapping his wand against the statue in a little speech bubble that says, Descendium. And, again, congratulations goes to Max Nash. He's up to a five-week streak, y'all. Dave was only a minute behind him and claims that his fat thumb wouldn't let him get to the right place. Quincy told him that was a weak sauce excuse. Dave also tried to mess with Max and ask if it still counted if he only spelled it with one S. Max told him, that's how you spell mischief. And Dave replied that he meant descendium. Max (laughs) responded that he did spell it with two S's and Dave said, made you look. Oh my god, hashtag I'm in fourth grade. He also told Max that he got punked. I love these guys, honestly. I know. Oh, this always ends up being so entertaining and suspenseful. Right? Who's gonna win this week? Will Max continue his streak? Will Dave figure out how to work his fingers? Will Quincy step up and stop Max's streak before he gets any closer? Stay tuned and find out. Same Potter time, same Potter channel. (laughs) For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 10, The Marauder's Map, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 10, The Marauder's Map Harry has to stay in the hospital over the weekend and has a stream of visitors the whole time, including Hagrid, Ginny Weasley, and the Gryffindor Quidditch team this time with Oliver Wood, who manages to tell Harry that he doesn't blame him. Ron and Hermione stay by his side all day except for bedtime, but nothing anyone says makes him feel better, because they only know half of what troubles him. He now has seen the Grimm twice, and the Dementors are making him feel sick and humiliated since he keeps collapsing around them. But now he knows that the screaming woman he hears is his mother during the last moments of her life, and the cold laughter belongs to Lord Voldemort. He is relieved to return to the main school on Monday, where he has other things to distract him, even if that does include dealing with taunts from Malfoy, who has finally taken off his bandages and celebrates by doing very elaborate imitations of Harry falling off his broom. In potions class, Malfoy does impressions of Dementors until Ron gets mad and throws a crocodile heart at him, and Snape takes 50 points from Gryffindor. They head to defense against the Dark Arts, and Ron refuses to go in if Snape is teaching again. Hermione checks, and Professor Lupin is back at work, so they all go in. He looks even more ill than usual, but smiles as they enter the class and promises that he will talk to Professor Snape about the essay and says they don't have to do it. Instead, they have a very enjoyable lesson learning about hinky punks, one-legged creatures that lure travelers into bogs and then attack them. 
When the bell rings, Lupin asks for a word with Harry and mentions the Quidditch match, asking him if there's any way of fixing his broomstick. Harry explains that the tree smashed it to bits, and Lupin tells him that the Whomping Willow was planted the same year he came to Hogwarts. People used to play a game trying to see who could get close enough to touch the trunk, until a boy nearly lost an eye and they were forbidden to go near it. Harry asks if Lupin heard about the Dementors, too, and wonders why they affect him so much. Lupin assures him that it has nothing to do with weakness, and explains that they affect him worse because he has horrors in his past that the others don't have. Dementors drain peace, hope, and happiness out of the air around them. Even muggles feel them, though they can't see them. Getting too near one will allow it to suck out all happy memories until there's nothing left but the worst experiences, and Harry's worst experiences are enough to make anyone fall off a broom. Harry tells Lupin that when they get near him, he can hear Voldemort murdering his mother, and asks why they came to the match. Lupin tells him that they were getting hungry, and the match was their idea of a feast. Harry acknowledges that Azkaban must be terrible, and Lupin agrees, saying most prisoners go mad within weeks. Harry wonders about Sirius Black escaping them, and Lupin says that he must have found a way to fight them, though he would not have believed that was possible. Harry asks about how he drove the one away on the train, and learns that there are certain defenses that can be used. He asks Lupin if he will teach him, and though he says he doesn't pretend to be an expert, Lupin agrees to try and help him, but says it will have to wait until after the holidays. This, along with the fact that Ravenclaw beat Hufflepuff in Quidditch, helps Harry's mood improve. With Gryffindor back in the running, Wood returns to working the team as hard as ever, and Dumbledore's anger seems to be keeping the Dementors at bay. Unfortunately for Harry, there's going to be another Hogsmeade weekend just before the holidays start, and he has to resign himself to being the only third year who again has to stay behind. He borrows a copy of Witch Broomstick from Wood to start looking into a new broom while everyone else is in the village. That Saturday, he says bye to Ron and Hermione and begins to head back to Gryffindor Tower. On his way, he spots Fred and George peering at him from behind a statue of a humpbacked, one-eyed witch and asks why they aren't going to Hogsmeade. They tell him that they want to give him a bit of festive cheer before they go and pull out a worn piece of parchment. Harry wonders what it is, and they tell him that it's the secret to their success. But they think Harry's need is greater than theirs, and explain to Harry that in their first year, they set off a dung bomb to sneak it out of Filch's filing cabinet marked confiscated and highly dangerous. They figured out how to work it, and George shows Harry by touching his wand to it and saying, I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. Ink lines appear on the parchment saying, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, purveyors of aids to magical mischief makers, are proud to present the Marauder's Map. The map shows every detail of the Hogwarts castle, grounds, and has tiny little ink dots labeled with names moving around it. It shows Albus Dumbledore pacing his office, Mrs. Norris prowling around the second floor, and Peeves bouncing around the trophy room. As Harry looks at the map, he notices it also shows several secret passages, some of which lead directly into Hogsmeade. Fred and George tell Harry which ones Filch already knows about, one that's caved in, and another that's covered by the Whomping Willow, but then they point at one, located right behind the one-eyed statue that they are standing by. It leads right into the cellar of Honeydukes. 
They tell him how to wipe it after he's done by saying mischief managed, and Fred imitates Percy saying, so young Harry, mind you behave yourself. And George tells him they will see him in Honeydukes and winks. They head off, leaving Harry with the miraculous map. He briefly remembers Mr. Weasley's words about never trusting anything that can think for itself if you can't see its brain, but then decides since Fred and George have been using it for years without any problems, it should be fine. He rolls up the map and slips behind the statue of the one-eyed witch. Unsure of what to do next, he pulls the map back out and sees himself on it, tapping the statue with his wand with a little speech bubble saying, Descendium. Harry says it for real, and the statue's hump opens up wide enough to admit a fairly thin person. He slips through, lights his wand with Lumos, clears the map, and follows the twisting and turning passageway for what feels like an hour. He eventually reaches some steps and climbs them until his head hits a trap door. He carefully lifts it and peers into a cellar full of crates and boxes. Then he hides as someone comes down the stairs and bolts up them as the man is looking through a box on the opposite wall. Finding himself behind the Honeyduke's counter, he creeps out from behind it and blends in with the crowds of kids in the sweet shop. He finds Ron and Hermione trying to decide what candy to get for Harry and surprises them when he approaches. He tells them about the map, and Hermione thinks he should turn it in because of Sirius Black, since he could be using one of the passages to get into the castle. Harry explains what the twins told him about the passages, but does worry that Sirius might know about one of them. Ron interrupts his thoughts by pointing out the notice from the Ministry about all the extra security in Hogsmeade until Black is caught, and says that he doesn't think Black could break into Honeydukes with all the Dementors around. With all the crowds, he thinks Harry will be perfectly fine and convinces Hermione not to turn him in. They pay for their candy, head out into the cold, and decide to go to the three broomsticks to warm up with a butterbeer. Ron goes to get the drinks from a Kirby woman, Madame Rosmerda, and as they sip their butterbeers, Professor McGonagall, Flitwick, and Hagrid enter, accompanied by the Minister of Magic. Ron and Hermione shove Harry under the table, and Hermione magically moves a Christmas tree to block their table from view. They sit and listen as Madame Rosmerta brings over their drinks and is invited to sit with them. They discuss why the minister is visiting and Black's break-in at Hogwarts on Halloween. Madame Rosmerta complains about the presence of the Dementors, and Fudge says that they are necessary and that she doesn't know the worst of what Black has done. He tells them all about how Sirius Black and James Potter were best friends, that Black was his best man when James married Lily, and that they made him godfather to Harry. Then, when the Potters found out that You-Know-Who was after them, they made Black their secret keeper and he betrayed them. When You-Know-Who met his downfall, Black had to make a run for it. Hagrid is completely distraught to learn this about Black because he ran into him at the Potter's house when he went to get Harry. He rants about it and then goes silent. Madame Rosmerta mentions that the Ministry caught up with him and Fudge tells her that it was actually Peter Pettigrew who found him and confronted him about James and Lily's deaths. He went for his wand, but Black blew him to smithereens, leaving behind blood-stained robes and only a few fragments. Madame Rosmerta asks if it's true that Black is mad, and Fudge tells her that he wishes that it were true, but the last time he saw him in Azkaban, he seemed very normal and even asked to borrow his newspaper. The Dementors seem to have little effect on him. Rosmerta asks if he escaped to try and rejoin You-Know-Who, and Fudge says that's likely his eventual plan, but that they hope to catch him long before then. McGonagall tells Fudge that they better head out if he's dining with the headmaster and they all leave. Ron and Hermione look under the table at Harry, both at a loss for words. 
The movie starts out with Harry reacting to the news of his broomstick being destroyed by the Whomping Willow as Professor Lupin's voice is layered over the top of the scene, saying that he is sorry to hear about his broomstick. It cuts to Harry and Professor Lupin walking through the forest, and Lupin asks if there is any chance of fixing it. Harry says no, and asks him why the Dementors affect him so much more than everyone else. Lupin explains how horrible the Dementors are, telling Harry that they feed on every good feeling and happy memory until a person is left with nothing but their worst experiences. He tells Harry that he is not weak, but the Dementors affect him so much because there are true horrors in his past that others don't have, and he has nothing to be ashamed of. Harry confesses that he is scared, and Lupin tells him that he'd consider him a fool if he wasn't. Harry asks him if he could teach him how to fight them, since he made that one on the train go away. Lupin explains that there was only one then, and he doesn't pretend to be an expert. But as the Dementors seem to have taken an interest in him, perhaps he should. They stop in front of a tall rock and overlook a small island on the lake. Hedwig flies up and lands next to Harry, who strokes her. Lupin tells Harry that it will have to be after the holidays so he can rest for now. Hedwig flies off and the camera cuts to her flying between the mountains as snow begins to flurry in and the whole scene transitions to a snow-covered castle and grounds. Hedwig flies toward the castle and the camera pushes into a large clock that doubles as a window. Harry is standing behind it, looking out over the grounds. Filch's voice can be heard saying, Last call for Hogsmeade! and it cuts to kids walking through the snowy courtyard to head to the village. Harry watches them leave, and then the scene changes to footprints appearing in the courtyard as Fred and George Weasley build a snowman. The twins notice the footprints and grab the invisible Harry, telling him that he's clever, but not clever enough. He tries to protest and explain that he is trying to get to Hogsmeade. They say they know. They drag the invisible Harry back into the corridor over to a stairwell where he takes off his cloak to protest some more and is handed a folded up piece of parchment. Harry asks what this rubbish is and Fred informs him that it is the secret to their success. George says it's a wrench giving it to him and Fred adds on that Harry's needs are greater than theirs. He asks George to demonstrate and George pulls out his wand, points it at the parchment and says, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. At once, words begin to appear on the parchment, and Harry reads, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. George says he owes them so much, and Harry unfolds the parchment to realize that it is a map of Hogwarts, and Fred and George tell him that he's seeing Dumbledore pacing in his study, and the map shows everyone, where they are, and what they are doing at all times. Harry wonders where they got it, and Fred tells him that they nicked it from Filch's office back in their first year. George tells Harry that there are seven secret passages, and they point one out to get to Hogsmeade, right into Honeyduke's cellar. Fred says he better hurry since Filch is heading that way, and George adds on to give it a tap, and both twins say mischief managed, or else anyone can read it. The images on the map start to disappear, and the scene cuts to a square stone on a cellar floor being lifted up. Harry peeks out from under the stone, then climbs out and puts on his invisibility cloak. He knocks a box over as he heads up the stairs, and, invisible, makes his way through the sweet shop, stealing a lollipop from Neville on his way out the door. The lollipop appears to float out into the street, and the scene changes again to Hermione telling Ron for the second time that the Shrieking Shack is supposed to be the most haunted building in Britain. She asks if he wants to move a bit closer, and Ron is very reluctant to, saying he's fine there. 
Malfoy, Crab, and the tall, thin, Slytherin boy walk down the snowy hill as Malfoy taunts Ron and Hermione, asking if they are shopping for their new dream home. He says it's a bit grand for him, calling him Weaselby, and saying that his family all sleeps in one room. Ron tells him to shut his mouth, and Malfoy comments on that not being very friendly, before saying, Boys, I think it's time we teach Weaselby how to respect his superiors. Hermione steps in front of Ron, laughing, and says she hopes they don't mean themselves. Malfoy calls her a filthy little mudblood and immediately gets hit with a snowball that seems to come from nowhere. Malfoy asks who's there, and the Slytherin trio look around trying to figure out who did that, as more snowballs come pelting at them. The thin Slytherin's hat is pulled over his eyes and Crab's pants are pulled down, and they still can't see who's doing it. As Crab tries to pull his pants back up, he is pushed forward. The other Slytherin is grabbed and spun around by his scarf as Malfoy trips over Crab, all freaked out. Malfoy is then dragged screaming by the feet towards the Shrieking Shack, and then all three of them run away scared. Hermione and Ron are both laughing until Ron's hat and Hermione's hair appear to start tweaking themselves. Ron looks scared, but Hermione just keeps laughing and calls Harry's name. Harry takes the invisibility cloak off, laughing too as Ron says, Bloody hell, Harry, that was not funny. The scene switches to the main part of the village, showing a wanted poster for Sirius Black, as Ron is commenting on the fact that his brother never told him about any Marauder's map. Hermione insists that Harry is going to turn it over to Professor McGonagall, and Ron sarcastically says, Oh, sure, along with his invisibility cloak. Hermione changes the subject, pointing out Madame Rosemurda and teasing Ron for fancying her. Ron denies it, but everyone is distracted by the Minister of Magic arriving in a carriage. Hagrid offers to open the carriage door for him and instead pulls the whole thing off. Fudge is with Professor McGonagall and greets Madame Rosemurda, asking about business, and Rosemurda tells him that it would be a lot better without Dementors entering her pub every other night. He tries to defend their presence, explaining that a killer is on the loose, and Rosemurda wonders what would bring Black to Hogsmeade. Fudge leans in and whispers Harry Potter, and Rosemurda repeats it loud enough for Harry, Ron, and Hermione to hear. Fudge and McGonagall shush her and usher her inside so they can speak in private. Harry puts his cloak on and follows after them. Ron and Hermione try to follow him, but several shrunken heads tell him that no underage wizards are allowed in the pub that day. Ron and Hermione wait outside the door as Harry sneaks into the private room that Rosemurda, the minister, and Professor McGonagall are in. They notice the door open on its own, but don't think much of it. Rosemurda just closes it and asks what this is all about. Professor McGonagall explains that years ago, when the Potters found out they were marked for death, they went into hiding. Sirius Black was one of the few people who knew where they were and told you-know-who, leading him to the Potters that night, as well as killing their old friend, Peter Pettigrew. Madame Rosemurda says that she remembers him and that he was always trailing after James and Sirius. McGonagall says that Peter tried to warn the Potters, but Sirius Black stopped him. As Fudge pours himself a drink, he says that Black was vicious and didn't kill Pettigrew. He destroyed him. All that was left of him was a finger. McGonagall says that Sirius Black may not have killed the Potters himself, but he is the reason they're dead, and Fudge adds that now he wants to finish what he started. Rosemurda is shocked, and Fudge tells her that isn't even the worst of it. Rosemurda asks what could be worse, and McGonagall says that Sirius Black is Harry Potter's godfather. The section of the scene ends with the camera focusing on Harry's stunned face under the invisibility cloak. This is another section where the main concepts of the book to the movie are very similar, but how they arrived at them are quite different. 
The book chapter starts out letting us know that Harry had to spend the rest of the weekend in the hospital wing, so forget getting his werewolf essay completed. Snape did say loss of limb won't excuse him. I doubt falling off his broomstick would either. Oh yeah, if Snape was the actual defense against the dark arts teacher and Harry didn't get that essay finished, he probably would wish he hadn't survived his fall. Right. But it's pretty clear that Snape never actually intended to do anything with those essays. He was just giving them a big fat dickish clue about the presence of a werewolf in this story. Which shows some really unexpected restraint. Mm Mm-hmm. That he apparently loses by the end of the story. But we'll get to that. It's evident that he didn't really care about the essay because he never mentioned it ever again. And he even had them in potions class on Monday right before Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yeah, he totally could have given the Gryffindors a really hard time if none of them had actually gotten the essay to him that morning. Which is when he said he wanted it. On his desk by Monday morning. Instead, potions was just the usual unpleasantness. Added to by Malfoy, who has finally decided to stop faking his injury like a little bitch, and celebrates the removal of his bandages by doing Dementor impressions and imitating Harry falling from his broom. Because he's a Nazi von Douchebag II. Pretty much. This angers Ron to the point that he throws a crocodile heart across the room, like hits Malfoy right in the face. And then Snape takes 50 points from Gryffindor. Yep, sounds like par for the potions course. Ron refuses to attend Defense Against the Dark Arts if Snape is teaching it again, but Hermione checks and Professor Lupin is back, though definitely looking ill. Hmm, I wonder why. Right? Suspense. They all complain about the werewolf essay, and Lupin assures him that he'll talk to Snape and they don't have to do it. Hermione, of course, already had. It's actually pretty ballsy that apparently none of the others did it, since he wanted it due that morning. Like, he could have made life so unpleasant for them if basically the entire class didn't do the work he assigned. Seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. Lucky for the Gryffindors, that's not what happened. They had an enjoyable lesson about hinky punks, and then at the end of class, Professor Lupin asks Harry for a word. And then he talks to him about the match, Harry's broom being destroyed, and the Dementors. This is basically where the movie comes in, though the setup is completely different. Instead of taking place right after class, Lupin and Harry are basically on a nature walk as they discuss things. The conversation itself is a little different, too. In both, Lupin does ask about Harry's broom and if there's any way to fix it, But in the book, Harry tells him that the Whomping Willow smashed it to bits. Lupin then tells Harry that the tree was planted there the same year he arrived at Hogwarts. And this is actually a very important bit of information, but the movie didn't really agree because they didn't mention it at all. It just goes right into Harry asking Lupin why the Dementors affect him so much. He does ask that in the book, too. I'll tell you why. Because you're fucked up, kid. That's why. (laughs) Yep. But in both, Lupin explains that, in a much more diplomatic way, (laughs) letting Harry know that he isn't weak, but that the Dementors drain all of the happiness from people who get too near to them. It leaves them with nothing left but the worst experiences of their life. And Harry has horrors in his past that the others don't have. Horrors your classmates can scarcely imagine. You know, except for Pravati and her fucking (laughs) jack-in-the-box. In the book, this is when Harry tells Lupin that he hears Voldemort murdering his mom. We already had something similar to that in the previous scene between Harry and Lupin on the bridge. Yeah, but the book does not have Lupin mention anything about knowing her or James at this point. 
though he is described to motion like he's about to grip Harry's shoulder and then doesn't. So it's a little clue that Lupin knows more than he shares. In the movie, Harry just tells Lupin that he's scared, and Lupin tells him that he'd consider him a fool if he wasn't. Then Harry asks him if he could teach him how to fight them, since he made that one on the train go away. Harry asks for his help in the book, too, but it's after they talk more about the Dementors, how horrible Azkaban must be, and the fact that Sirius Black was able to escape them. This makes Harry remember that Lupin drove the one away on the train. In both, Lupin says that he doesn't pretend to be an expert on the subject, except for the part where he totally does by teaching the subject, but whatever. In the movie, they stop walking and overlook the lake. Hedwig flies up and lands next to Harry, who pets her, as Lupin says that since the Dementors seem to have taken such an interest in him, perhaps he better teach him. But after the holidays, so he can rest right now. In the book, Harry persuades him to teach him, saying that he needs to be able to fight them if they come to another match, and Lupin agrees to try and help. In the book, he also says that it'll have to be after the holidays, because he chose a very inconvenient time to fall ill wonder what he's ill with. Hmm. Hmm. Both scenes end at this point in the conversation, and I really like the Hedwig snow transition that the movie does. Like, Hedwig flies away from Harry, and it cuts to her flying through the mountains as snow starts to flurry in, and the view changes to show the castle and grounds covered in snow. It was a really pretty and effective way to streamline the passage of time. Yeah, the book just summarized the goings-on at Hogwarts leading up to the holidays. Things have been a little more positive for Harry since he has the promise of anti-dementor lessons, and Ravenclaw flattened Hufflepuff in Quidditch, so Gryffindor is still in the running for the Quidditch Cup. Ron and Hermione decided to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas to keep Harry company. The only real downside was that there was another Hogsmeade weekend right before the holidays, and Harry was bummed that he was going to have to miss yet another one. This trip to Hogsmeade is what the movie cuts right to after Harry's conversation with Lupin. Harry is standing up in the clock tower window, watching as all the kids are heading towards the village, and decides to slip away under cover of afternoon when everyone can see him leave tracks in the snow. Great idea. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) And also, that's not how it happened in the book. Shock. Harry borrowed which broomstick from Olive Herwood, and plans to decide on a new broom to buy while everyone else is in Hogsmeade. He says bye to Ron and Hermione and starts to head back to his common room, but ends up spotting Fred and George peering at him from behind a one-eyed witch statue. He asks them what they're up to, and they tell him that they've come to give him a bit of holiday cheer. Hmm. The movie definitely did this differently. Not only does Harry decide to completely break the rules and try to sneak into Hogsmeade in his invisibility cloak... His not-so-invisible footprints are spotted by the Weasley twins, who are randomly building a snowman in the courtyard, because why not? Also, I don't quite understand the twins, like, sneaking up on Harry, because they were in front of him. Surely he could have just dodged them, or at least not have been as surprised when they grabbed him, right? Like, My guess is that he was so determined to get past them that he wasn't really paying attention. Strange how nearsighted being invisible can make you. I see what you did there. (laughs) There is that. But even though this scene is set up differently and occurs in a completely different location, the conversation between Harry and Fred and George is mostly the same between the book and the movie. Yeah, there aren't as many details in the movie version of it, but for the most part, it gets the same information across. In both, they hand Harry a blank piece of parchment. In the book, 
Harry asks what it's supposed to be. The movie is definitely more sarcastic than the book, where Harry's reaction is, What's this rubbish? And that kicks off a scene of peak twin tandem talking. They go back and forth explaining that it's the secret to their success. They hate giving it up, but they've decided his need is greater than theirs. In the book, it's very similar with the twin tandem talk, though it's so much more effective to see it in a film than it is to read it. It really is. George also mentions that they know it by heart and don't really need it anymore, so they're bequeathing it to him. Harry wants to know what he needs with a bit of old parchment, and the twins explain what it is. This part of the conversation gets quite a bit streamlined in the movie. In both, Fred asks George to explain, and in the movie, George pulls out his wand, taps the parchment, and says, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Words begin to appear on the map that say, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's map. Yes, this definitely streamlines things, because Fred and George don't immediately tell him what it is in the book. Instead of demonstrating how to work it, George first begins to tell Harry that when they were in their first year, young, carefree, and innocent. Right. (laughs) Oh yeah, this comment totally draws a snort from Harry, too. Who doubts they were ever innocent? Mm -mm. (laughs) Especially since George then goes on to describe that they were in trouble with Filch for setting off a dung bomb in the corridor. I mean, that sounds super innocent to me. I don't know. Right? That doesn't sound weird. Then as Filch is threatening them with detention and disembowelment, they notice a drawer in his filing cabinet marked confiscated and highly dangerous. And George sets off yet another dung bomb so that Fred could reach in and grab the bit of old parchment that they were giving to Harry. It's a terrible thing to name your cabinet, though. Like, you should have named it something boring. Name it something like, hey, there's really interesting stuff in here that troublemakers would like to get their hands on. Right? Like, name it knitting patterns or some shit like some (laughs) no because then Dumbledore would be in there all the time you know what that's fine too as long as Fred and George stay the fuck out Uh, but then we would have this whole missing plot point and that wouldn't be good the movie does have Fred tell Harry that they nicked it from Filch's office so at least they kept that detail in but it isn't quite the same as the full story of how they got it it is pretty ballsy and fantastic the Mm -hmm. full story really is. George says that it isn't as bad as it sounds. They don't think Filch ever figured out how to work it. Harry asks if they know how to work it, and this is when George takes out his wand, taps the parchment, and says, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Ink begins to appear, showing the words, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, purveyors of aids to magical mischief makers, are proud to present the Marauder's Map. So once again, the movie streamlined it leaving out purveyors of aids to magical mischief makers. But other than that, the map is really everything I wanted. Like, I loved what it was. I do agree that the map was absolutely fantastic, but like the Monster Book of Monsters, it was not how the book actually described it. The map in the book was described to be a large, square, worn piece of parchment, which doesn't really make me picture the folded-up version that the movie showed. The words that appear are in curly green letters, and the figures moving around the map were described as tiny ink dots labeled with a name in minuscule writing. But the little footprints were just so awesome! And the little banners with the names were much better looking than how the book described. Oh, I don't disagree at all. I was merely commenting on the differences. Fine. 
Harry acknowledges the map that shows every detail of Hogwarts castle and grounds and notices a dot labeled Albus Dumbledore pacing in his study, another one labeled Mrs. Norris prowling around the second floor, and a Peeves dot bouncing around the trophy room. The movie has Harry, aka Captain Obvious, say, It's a map of Hogwarts. No, Harry, it's a map of the fucking Cheesecake Factory, you ninny. (laughs) He sees the little footprints and asks about them, and the twins tell him that it's Dumbledore pacing in his study, and that he does that a lot. So that's a nice little reference to the book, at least. Harry says it's brilliant and asks where they got it, and this is when Fred mentions nicking it from Filch. In the book, Harry continues to look at the map and notices that it also shows secret passages, many of which seem to lead right into Hogsmeade. Fred and George let him know of the four that Filch knows about and tells him that of the other three, one is caved in, one is under the Whomping Willow, and the third one, which happens to be right behind the one-eyed witch statue leads right into Honeyduke's cellar. The movie doesn't go into that detail. It just has them point out the passages and recommend a specific one that leads to Honeyduke's cellar. Then they tell him he better hurry since Filch is heading that way. George adds on to tap it and both twins say mischief managed and the map clears itself so that no one else can read it. They tell him this in the book too. Then they head off to Hogsmeade themselves, leaving Harry with the map. He has a brief moment where he remembers what Mr. Weasley said in Chamber of Secrets about never trusting anything that can think for itself if you can't see its brain. But then he does the usual Gryffindor thing and convinces himself that it'll be fine since he's not going to use it to steal anything or attack anyone. Like that was Ginny's goal when she first started writing in Riddle's diary. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But he uses the map and it tells him to tap the statue and say, Descendium. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Descendium causes the one-eyed witch's hump to open, and Harry slips through and follows the passageway for what feels like nearly an hour. Then he eventually reaches stairs and climbs them until he hits his head on a trapdoor as he reaches the top. None of this is in the movie. Just cuts straight from the map clearing itself to a trapdoor in a cellar being lifted and Harry's head peering out of it. He climbs out, puts on his invisibility cloak, and is a total dick for knocking over that box on the stairs and not picking it up. Like, someone could trip over that and get seriously injured. That shit's just rude. Just saying. Yeah, I figured it was just to show that an invisible Harry was walking up the stairs, but it's definitely a safety hazard. He could have picked it up, that's all I'm saying. In the book, he sneaks upstairs very stealthily. No knocking things over, because he's trying to get up them quickly before one of the shop workers realizes he's there. He also doesn't have the invisibility cloak with him at all. This condenses multiple book Hogsmeade trips into one visit for the movie. So it ends up being different, though the gist of the information is basically the same. Yeah, the book has Harry sneak out from behind the counter after he emerges from the Honeyduke cellar. And since he doesn't have an invisibility cloak, he just sort of blends in with the crowds of kids in the sweet shop. He also finds Ron and Hermione in the corner of the shop, looking at unusual tastes, where they're trying to pick out candy to bring back to Harry. When Ron suggests cockroach clusters, Harry says definitely not, and completely surprises them. Ron thinks that he's learned how to apparate, and Harry explains about the map. This part... Shockingly enough, completely different in the movie. Harry walks through the sweet shop, invisible, and is also a dick for taking Neville's blood lollipop. But also, Neville is nasty ass for eating a blood lollipop. Maybe that's why Harry took it, to stop Neville from being a nasty ass. Uh, Maybe. 
But he should have taken Bem's heart-shaped candy floss looking thing. That would have been better. The idea of candy that flosses your teeth cracks me up. Like, just in case you aren't getting all that sugar all the way between your teeth. (laughs) It seems far more likely to guarantee cavities. Yeah. But Harry takes the lollipop from Neville and walks out the door into the street. And I want to know why the hell the lollipop is still visible. I assume him taking it was one part making sure Neville didn't eat a blood lollipop, and one part again showing us that Harry was there, but invisible. Yeah, fine, but it's still dumb. (laughs) But then the scene cuts to Ron and Hermione looking at the Shrieking Shack. Okay, so Hermione mentions that the Shrieking Shack is the most haunted place in Britain twice. Ron was the one telling Harry that after the last Hogsmeade trip, so it's extra unnecessary that she mentions it to him. So I assume that Hermione was the one who told Ron and Harry the first time, and then Ron repeated it to Harry, so that when Hermione brings it up again, that was her second time mentioning it. Yeah, but it was just unnecessarily repetitive. And redundant. It's repetitive and redundant. We're visiting the Department of Redundancy Department again. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Though I think that in this case, it was just another way for the movie to hint at the importance of the Shrieking Shack by mentioning it a couple of times earlier on. Plus, it sets up a bit of adorable awkwardness between Ron and Hermione. I feel like them hanging out without Harry outside of Hogwarts can probably start to feel a little date-like. So I kind of appreciate that Hermione seems totally awkward when she repeats herself. Oh my god, yeah. Especially with the, do you want to move a bit closer? Ah, to be 13 and awkward as fuck. It's adorably awkward. But as they're looking at the Shrieking Shack and being awkward, Malfoy, Crab, and Slim Shady show up. This time we are missing Goyle, and I have no idea why. Also, did Malfoy skin the Monster Book of Monsters to make that fucking hat? He's actually just wearing the book on his head. He forgot to stroke it. (laughs) You've got to stroke it. (laughs) But admittedly, the whole shopping for your dream home line was kind of a decent burn on Malfoy's part. But he lost any cred for it with Weaselby. I don't think that's one he ever uses in the book either. it's stupid. He usually goes with Weasel because it's Potty and the Weasel. And it's stupid. Yeah. But it definitely didn't happen at this part of the book because that's not how it happened in the book. What? This is similar to a scene from later on, but we'll end up talking more about that then. Yeah. So Malfoy also makes a comment about Ron's family all sleeping in one room, and Ron gives him a super lame, Shut your mouth, Malfoy. This makes me so mad. (laughs) Book Ron does not take that shit from Malfoy. Earlier in this chapter, he throws a crocodile heart at him. Shut your mouth. Right? Plus, Malfoy loses even more cred when he responds to that by saying, ooh, not very friendly, and telling his cronies that it's time to teach Weaselby to respect his superiors. Then Hermione steps in front of Ron, and he literally hides behind her. Like, what the fuck, movie? Are you kidding? They do Ron so dirty in this scene. Ugh, they do him dirty in the entire damn movie, but... It's so dirty in this scene, though. Yes, true. But then Malfoy calls Hermione a filthy little mudblood and takes a snowball that appears to come from nowhere to the face. Then the scene just sort of slapsticks itself into Crab screaming like a little bitch, lots of falling over, and the trio of Slytherins running away scared. 
And the fact that Ron is the scared little bitch and Hermione is the one laughing at Harry being there pissed me off something fierce. Still doing him dirty. Seriously. Though it is always fun to hear him get to say his bloody hell line. There is that. But then the scene cuts back to the main village with a gratuitous shot of crazy Gary Oldman. I just, I enjoy saying that way too much. And that's why we keep adding it in for you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. The trio's conversation lets us know that Harry told them about the map. So for the moment, it lines back up to where you left off with the book. Yeah, and this part of the conversation is pretty similar. Ron's mad because his brothers never told him about the map, and Hermione insists that Harry's going to turn it into Professor McGonagall, and Ron thinks she's absolutely mad. The movie again ramps up the sarcasm. Ron's response is, oh sure, along with his invisibility cloak. But then the subject gets changed when Hermione points out Madame Rose Murda and teases Ron for fancying her. And I don't know about you, but I still wish Madame Rose Murda's first name was Roberta. Because that's just fun. I thought Roz Murda was her first name and we just didn't know her last name. Fine. I want her last name to be Roberta. How's that? <laughs> okay. Boom. Rose Murda Roberta. Bam, son. But that's not at all how it happened in the book. It never is. Hermione goes on to make her case about why Harry should turn in the map, mentioning Sirius Black and saying that he could be using one of the passages to get into Hogwarts. Harry defends the map, telling her what Fred and George said about the ones Filch knows about the caved-in one, the Whomping Willow-covered one, and saying you'd have to know where the Honeydukes one is to find it. He trails off a little, wondering if Black does know about it. But Ron points out a notice from the Ministry about the Dementor's presence in Hogsmeade and says that he'd like to see Black break into Honeydukes with all the Dementors around. This doesn't quite convince Hermione, but she drops it when Ron says it's so crowded today that he'd never be able to spot Harry anyway. Yeah, instead of all this, the movie just has these little amazing touches. Like Fudge, the Minister of Magic, shows up in a carriage, and Hagrid accidentally rips the carriage door off its frame while opening it for him. And he gets to say his classic, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Then Fudge carefully avoids stepping into the pile of shit, only to be threatened by Rosemurda about the Dementors and end up stepping into it anyway. I have never actually noticed that part before. That is pretty great. I'm going to have to watch for it next time. Right? There's also a random-ass chimney sweep walking past. Like, when the fuck did this become a Dickens novel? No idea. Maybe they just thought it would be a nice aesthetic since they don't have electricity and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Fudge reminds Madame Rose Murda that there is a killer on the loose and she wonders why Sirius Black would come to Hogsmeade. Fudge leans in and whispers, Harry Potter. Which Rose Murda repeats significantly louder. Because by all means, please, just shout Harry Potter's name in the middle of Hogsmeade with a killer on the loose. Good call. Right? He just whispered it to you, and your response is to make sure everyone hears you repeat it? Classic. (laughs) Fudge and Professor McGonagall both immediately shush her and hurry her inside to privacy. This, of course, also gets Harry's attention, who is under his cloak, and off to meddle before Hermione and Ron even notice he's missing. I mean, it is his second best skill. Facts. They follow Invisible Harry into the three broomsticks, but are told that no kids are allowed in that day. Why would Madame Rose Murda not allow students into the pub on a Hogsmeade weekend? Like, seriously, what the fuck? Do you not want to make money? Or what? Like, how many sales is she missing out on by not letting underage wizards in? You make an excellent point, but I still can't get past the fact that they are given that information by more shrunken heads. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and also... 
that's not how it happened in the book. What? In the book, they decide to go warm up with a butterbeer in the three broomsticks, which they are not barred from that day. The trio sit down at a table and Ron sees Madame Rosmerda, goes slightly red and offers to fetch the butterbeers because he does in fact fancy her. She is a bit of a milf. As they are all drinking, Professors McGonagall, Flitwick, and Hagrid come in with Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, and Hermione and Ron literally shove Harry under the table. And Hermione also moves a Christmas tree into the line of sight so they don't notice him. Definitely a different setup than in the movie. Though, now the conversation is sort of similar, albeit very streamlined. In the movie, Harry follows McGonagall, Rosemurda, and Fudge, and while I think the way Harry got into the room with them was stupid as fuck, oh, I'll just walk in and they'll totally think it was the wind opening up the latch door, I do like that they actually had this conversation in a room away from possibly prying ears, instead of... I don't know, the middle of the fucking pub where anyone can and does overhear them. Yeah, I think the main thing is that what they were talking about wasn't really a secret. The movie was making it seem all hushed up that Black was after Harry when it seemed more like the book wasn't even really focused on that aspect for this conversation. I guess. I still liked it better that they had the conversation in private, though. Yeah. Because book Harry's just hanging out under a table and listening as Madame Rosmerda brings over the drinks. Fudge invites her to join them, and she does. And this is where the topic of Dementors comes up. Rosmurda also wonders what brings the minister to the area, and he asks if she's heard about what happened at the school on Halloween. I love the fact that when she says she heard a rumor, Professor McGonagall asked Hagrid if he told the whole pub. Because you know he fucking did, Oh, right? Funkle Hagrid, he totally did. <laughs> but the teachers and Rosmurda are all complaining about the Dementors, and Rosmerda mentions that she still has trouble believing Sirius Black went over to the dark side. Fudge tells her that she doesn't even know the worst of what he did. This is basically where the movie conversation picks up. Like we said before, it gets the gist the same, but definitely leaves a lot out. It just focuses on the fact that when James and Lily found out that they were marked for death by you-know-who, they went into hiding, and very few people knew where they were, and Black was one of the few. They severely simplified this because there was no mention of Black being their secret keeper. They just completely omitted that. Yeah, I don't know if they thought that concept was too much to explain, maybe? Like, I think this could make a good Potter pondering, because I'd like to know what the Keepers think about this change. Okay. But they say Black led you-know-who to the Potters that night and killed another friend of theirs from school, Peter Pettigrew, who tried to stop him. They have Madame Rosemurda specifically mention that she remembers Pettigrew always trailing after James and Sirius. And I think it's really interesting that Lupin never gets brought up as being friends with Sirius and James and Peter. Yeah, it's almost like they thought holding that detail back from the viewers would make it a bigger shock when it's revealed later. I didn't like it, though. Yeah, same. In the book, they start out specifically mentioning that James and Sirius were best friends, that Sirius was the best man at James and Lily's wedding, and that they named him Godfather to Harry. The movie will bring that up too, so we'll get to it. The book goes through the same basic story, but including all of the details about Secret Keepers, which involves an immensely complex spell that conceals a secret inside a person. As long as that person doesn't divulge the secret, it will never be known. Really not that hard. It's really not. They should have included it. Yep. But we learned that Sirius Black was the Potter's secret keeper after they found out you-know-who was after them, and barely a week after the charm was performed, he betrayed them. Same basic story, 
Lots more details. Yeah, lots and lots more details. <laughs> Fudge tells Rosmerta that since you-know-who met his downfall there, Black had to run for it. Then the story gets a slight intermission as Hagrid has one of his rants where he goes on about how he met Black when he went to get Harry from the ruins of the house, which we knew from back in the first book when Hagrid mentions that he got the motorbike from young Sirius Black. Obviously, this couldn't be brought back up in the movie since they didn't even have Hagrid join them in the room. All he got to do was pull off a carriage door. Yeah. Sad. <sighs> Apparently, Sirius briefly tried to persuade Hagrid to give him Harry, since he was his godfather, and Hagrid is completely horrified at what might have happened if he had done that. McGonagall tells him to calm down, and Rosmerta fills the silence by asking about the Ministry catching up with Black the next day. And this is when it kind of lines back up with the movie. Yeah, since Fudge tells her that it was actually Peter Pettigrew who caught up with him. Rosmerta does actually make a comment about him always tagging around after them at Hogwarts. And she does say them, not specifically James and Sirius. So the them could include Remus as well. Yeah, true. At this point in the movie, Fudge is pouring himself a drink and says that Black was vicious he didn't just kill Pettigrew, he destroyed him! All that was left of him was a finger. In the book, McGonagall reminisces a little about how he was in school and how she was kind of hard on him. But she does say that he was completely useless at dueling and he should have left things to the ministry. <laughs> That's not really funny, but it's kind of funny. It's kind of sad. She's like remembering how she was kind of hard on him and regretting that. She's just like, but he was such a dumbass. He couldn't duel for <laughs> shit. I don't know why he thought he could go after Sirius. <laughs> Hagrid interjects again to insist that had he known, he would have just ripped Black limb from limb. Fudge tells him that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Only trained hit wizards would have stood a chance against Black. He blew up a street and the only thing that was found of Peter Pettigrew was bloodstained robes and a few fragments. In the movie, McGonagall says that Black may not have killed the Potters himself, but he's the reason they're dead. Fudge adds that now he wants to finish what he started, and Madame Rosemurda is shocked. Then Fudge makes the comment from the book about how that isn't even the worst of it. And this is the point that they mentioned Sirius Black as Harry's godfather. McGonagall drops it like a bombshell, and the camera just focuses on Harry's shocked face for the end of this section of the film. Yeah, it's interesting to me that instead of bringing up the whole secret keeper aspect of Sirius's betrayal, the movie made the big bombshell be the fact that Sirius Black is Harry's godfather. Honestly, I'm just pissed off that no one ever refers to Sirius as Harry's dog father. <laughs> Come on. Spoilers! <laughs> we'll get to that. We gotta remember that, though. I like that. <laughs> the book chapter goes on just a bit more. We learn that it took 20 members of the Magical Law Enforcement Patrol to take Black away, and he'd been in Azkaban ever since, until he broke out. Madame Rosmerda asked if it was true that he's mad, and Fudge tells her that while he thinks his master's defeat unhinged him for a little while, he spoke to him on his last inspection of Azkaban and was shocked by how normal he seemed. The movie did not go with normal for Black. They definitely stuck with the unhinged, crazy Gary Oldman version of Black. I threw that in just for you. Thanks, you're so good to me. <laughs> the movie also flat out told Madame Rosmerta that Black was after Harry, when the book sort of glossed over that part with her. She asked why he broke out, 
wondering if he was going to try to rejoin you-know-who, and Fudge stayed pretty evasive, saying that they hoped to catch him long before that. So the whole conversation wasn't really a secretive matter. True, but it probably should have been. I mean, still don't know who's around. Yeah. But then in the book, McGonagall said they better head out if Fudge is dining with the headmaster, and they all get up and walk out of the bar. Ron and Hermione look at Harry under the table, and they're all at a loss for words. So, definitely quite different from the movie, since Ron and Hermione didn't even get to hear any of the conversation. A lot of details were left out, and emphasis was placed on a completely different bombshell. But still, the basic ideas for the plot were shared to move the story along. Yep. Speaking of moving along, let's just keep rolling into the new and returning actors. We only have one to talk about for this section, since we just met Julie Christie as Madame Rose Murda. I liked her, but I was expecting someone younger since Ron fancied her. I liked I thought she was great. I thought she was, like, sassy. Yeah, no, I mean, I liked her. And it makes sense that they had to age her up a little bit, too, since they aged up yeah. Snape and Lupin. And if she was supposed to be able to remember them at school, I suppose she could have gone to school with them. I guess so. But I expected her to be, like, late 20s, you know? I guess, that seems- I thought she was gonna be like the hot bartender that Ron was hitting on, you know? I mean- Like an idiot, because he's 13. I mean, she's not not hot, though. I feel like she looked too much like she was his mother's age. But you're right, you said she was a MILF. She's kinda hot. <laughs> but she did good, I, did I like liked her, her sass, sass, too. Yes! Sass. It's all about the sass. But this will bring us to our Potter pondering. We will make one of them to answer Dave's many, many questions about how magical paintings move. And get made. Mm-hmm. The other one is, we want your thoughts on why the movie omitted the whole secret keeper aspect behind the betrayal of the Potters. What do you think? Why do you think? Let us know. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. Mm -hmm. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Beatrice Glover. She said, I took the quiz on Pottermore, and it says that I'm a Ravenclaw, but I've always felt that I'm a Hufflepuff. I'm glad the sorting hat will take your choice under consideration because that's the house that I choose. I'm totally a Hufflepuff. Anyway, my wand is pear wood with a unicorn hair core, 10 inches slightly yielding, and my Patronus is an Osprey. I was 11 when the films came out, so I started reading them when all of the hype started over the new first movie. The first three books were out when I started reading them with the fourth on its way, and I made sure to read all three before I went to see the first movie. After that, waiting for the next books to come out was torture, and it was always so exciting to wait in line at the bookstore when a new one came out. I also loved going to see the movies when they were first released. I love reading the books and watching the movies all over again. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Beatrice. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story at a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can find the pin post on our Facebook page and share it there, or message it to us. This week's trivia question is, what is the password Ron says to Sir Cadagan to get into Gryffindor Tower during the Christmas holidays? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag Merry Christmas. We'll get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. 
Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will soon have the first of our cooking show episodes up. It's very exciting. Plus, in addition to that, we have our weekly podcast episodes, vlogs, and other random videos. Also, I am literally putting the finishing touches on the recording studio. So by this weekend, I think it's genuinely safe to say that we will put a video tour up on YouTube. The baseboard is in, the closet door is hung, yay! and all that's left is to finish the trim around the doors, and then I can start hanging stuff on the walls and whatnot. Soon we will be officially recording in this studio, so maybe it really will be our next episode this time. Technically, I have been sitting down here and recording in the studio, so my half, we're still remote, but my half has been in the recording studio. True. Although you saying that may have just jinxed us again. My bad. (laughs) Speaking of that next episode, though, join us next week when we talk about Chapter 11, The Firebolt, and the corresponding film scenes. Wait, what corresponding film scenes are those? Because, I mean, that chapter doesn't happen in the movie at all. We knew this was going to happen at some point. We will find something for you to talk about. Join us next week to find out what. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.